When we're in natural environments, so maybe we're on a hike in the woods or we're sitting by the ocean or even just walking in a neighborhood park, we feel a certain way, right? Our blood pressure starts to reduce, our body feels a lot calmer. When all that happens, we have so much more energy left to do the positive things in our lives because we're not spending all of our energy on fighting the stress. Hello, this is the Please Advise podcast. We are in week four of quarantine and already forgetting what real life feels like. That clip was from our guest at the show today, Bonnie Casamassima. This is such an incredible conversation, especially since we're all stuck at home in our own space right now. If you are interested in building or changing a space that physically, mentally, and emotionally makes you feel good and feel well, this is the episode for you. Bonnie is an incredible creative in the interior space and the founder of Interweave People Place. It is an organization that leverages the psychology of interior design to support your well-being. She uses elements, research, and inspiration from the natural world, as well as carefully selected colors, materials, and textures to create more peace, vibrancy, and connection in your space. In this episode, we break down the study of environmental psychology and biophilic design. A lot of you are probably wondering what that means. Environmental psychology is a study of transactions between individuals and their physical settings. Spaces affect how we feel. With that, let's get into our first episode. So I wanted to start off, I met you at Pachaka Cha, and I'd never been to an event like that. Um, and so for all of those people who don't know what that is, it's like a visual storytelling event. Um, it's like six and a half minutes, mm-hmm. I think, with... Six minutes, 40 seconds. Yeah. with <laughs> uh, Yes, you're very familiar. Um, and 20 slides, I think, mm-hmm. that you get to do. So, um, and your presentation came up, and I had already been, you know, looking for the next interview and who I wanted to interview, and I was like, this girl this is awesome. I love what you talked about. And it was something that was inspiring to me that I feel like a lot of us just have a very low level understanding of how spaces can affect us. And so it was really awesome. So, um, that's kind of just where I met you. Um, but if you could just kind of tell us how you got started in, in what you kind of presented and just kind of lead from there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, it's awesome to meet you face to face. And we've been talking over the phone and emailing. Um, and yeah, it was great to be part of the Pachaka Cha. So my name is Bonnie Casamasima. Bonnie works just fine. (laughs) Um, And in a nutshell, I work with the science of how spaces or homes or offices impact our health and our well-being. Um, It's a field called environmental psychology and within interior design. So that's my area of expertise. And then the subfield within that is biophilic design. So, so cool. yeah, a lot of words that basically say um, there's a lot of research and science around how we feel in certain spaces. Right. And there are some elements that help us feel really healthy and happy and some elements that actually cause us sickness and impairments. My goal is how do we actually work to use that science in a very human way. We could talk about the text, the science, the research all day, but how do we really translate it into what that means for your space? 
to support your quality of life. Right. And I thought it was so cool how you kind of got started in this, which mm-hmm. was when you were really young and you and your sister had a room <laughs> together and you just took over at the closet, <laughs> which was super cool. Yeah. Um, and you transformed it into, you know, your own space and took that, you know, I guess um, that's like an area of refuge that you yeah. that you uh, sought out in your own room from a really early age. So um, a lot of people can't really see that they had that aha moment that young yeah. uh, of what they you know what inspired them and how they could turn it into a career but you really did that yeah um, so that is really really cool I think on that it's really interesting uh, I didn't know that that's what I was having an aha moment of so the kind of short um, answer of how I got here as I was studying um, interior design at University of Tennessee here in Knoxville. Go balls. What, what? Whoop, whoop. <laughs> and um, realized in hindsight that, you know, I've really felt intuitively this strong connection for how spaces make us feel my whole life. And that led me um, on to pursuing graduate school in this conversation and then realizing, wait a second, when I was about six years old, I took everything out of the shared closet my sister and I shared and I put her stuff I I would like to say that I lovingly put it in neat stacks across the room but I probably just threw it all out of the room um, out of the space and I converted our shared closet into my own private reading nook because as the middle of five kids I needed a space that was really quiet that supported the introverted me um, now I know what I was doing, but back then I was just wanted that space. Just wanted that space, yeah. yeah. And I think intuitively we know that we have certain needs and environments as how do we create them to actually support us. And what's cool is right. there's research around that so we can make it repeatable. Okay, so I kind of, for there's a lot of people out there, including myself, that I don't know much about environmental psychology. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can we can draw um, some conclusions about, you know, the, the word environmental and psychology and how it goes hand in hand in biophilic design mm-hmm. um, and how those work together, basically. Um, and I remember in your presentation, there was almost 90 attributes that you could look at mm-hmm. under what fell under biophilic design and environmental psychology? Mm-hmm. Is it just biophilic design? So within biophilic design, it's been refined a little bit. It's closer to about 73. And the goal is not to get all 73, right? But basically, it's looking at, um, and I used to use very human language. We can talk about the, we can nerd out on the science and the research, but how do we make this really accessible so people know what to do with it really is my passion. Um, So in a nutshell, it's really looking at when we're in natural environments, so maybe we're on a hike in the woods or we're sitting by the ocean or even just walking in a neighborhood park, we feel a certain way, right? Our blood pressure starts to reduce, our body feels a lot calmer. When all that happens, we have so much more energy left to do the positive things in our lives because we're not spending all of our energy on fighting the stress. So biophilic design is really looking at what is it about our natural environment that makes us feel good and how do we start to pull specific attributes from that experience into our buildings, so our homes or our offices. There are about 73 different lists, so to speak, or, or attributes or ways, you know, things like daylight, natural materials, 
plants are one of them. So important. <laughs> greenery, like yeah. Right. Greenery yeah. is so important. So that's another thing I was thinking about, um, is that how do you, so I, I mean, obviously I would love to have a mass amount of plants, but some mm-hmm. spaces, including myself, like my own, I only have one, um, direct sunlight source yeah. in my apartment. So there's a lot of people who might not have a, you know, room for plants. How do you feel about artificial greenery? Is that something that can also trigger that in our minds? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's not off the table, artificial. Yeah. Well, I think what's really important with this is I think often people, and rightfully so, because it's what they know, they think, but I feel like the d- design and they say, oh, I want to fill my house with plants and it'll look like a jungle and it'll be perfect. <laughs> but I think what's empowering about this is that there are, you know, that 72 other ways and the goal is not to get all 72, <laughs> just be chaos. Um, but so I think the short answer to your question is, yes, you can pull artificial plants in, but know that plants are one of the ways. You can do it through art that is of natural settings. We are seeing research that says that that's impactful. Not not as impactful as the real thing, but it does have positive benefits to us if we have a piece of art that's of the woods, maybe in that darker corner that we can't have a live plant. So more like an indirect experience mm-hmm. of, of nature. Yeah, basically. Absolutely. So I'm sure there's a lot of other indirect things that we could pull in. I'm not sure if, you know, like stones or, you know, water, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Same, like water sounds. I know, I know that people listen to that in maybe their buildings, but, or, you know what I mean? Just, um, uh, I think in the bottom of our agency, we have, um, we have rocks and water mm-hmm. sounds. So it's, it's kind of pulling that you don't maybe notice it or look at it. It's just like a design is visually aesthetic to look at, but mm-hmm. it's probably contributing to a lot more, um, that we don't even know. Absolutely. So natural material, you know, literally pulling in stones, you know, wood grains on our tables, um, looking at things like um, things that engage our multiple senses, right? So a water fountain or a water feature. So you're hearing that running water. We're finding more and more that that is incredibly restorative to us um, biologically, psychologically. And then even looking at things that are maybe a little more... um, less literal, so to speak, there's a concept called refuge. So just like when I took my sister's closet and converted it to my private reading. You owned it. You took it away. You were like, this is mine. This is mine. Um, glorious I need it. I need it. Yeah. Um, You know, think about like booth seating, for example. When things have higher backs to us, we feel really protected. So a chair that has a higher back, it gives us that sense of protection. It basically simulates the feeling of when we're standing under a tree. For example, we feel really protected. We can do that by, you know, lowered ceiling elements or high back chairs or like um, seats that are in the corner or having our bed with a solid wall behind us, those type things. So That's a lot wonderful. of ways we can really play with it. So how does this tie into feng shui? And mm-hmm. I, I know that there's some kind of tie in here. Um, I'm not familiar with everything, but I know that there's certain things like you shouldn't keep things under your bed or, you know, your bed needs to be on the Eastern side for sun rising, mm-hmm. I think, and start to keep your circadian rhythms in, in check. Yeah. So how does that tie into feng shui yeah. if it does at all? Absolutely. That's actually one of the most common questions I get. <laughs> I would assume, yeah. And I love it because me personally, um, I see that there's a lot of synergy to them, though they're different areas of focus. So you're really looking at years and years and years of research and 
information that's telling us that we feel really good in certain spaces and other spaces are really negative to our health and our well-being. So I almost see environmental psychology and then biophilic design kind of a subfield within that as um, sisters, so to speak. They're friends, but they're not the same. Um, and they have a lot of overlapping attributes. So within environmental psychology, you are looking at things like um, how are you designing your spaces where you have daylight throughout the day? So in our hemisphere, that means, you know, ideally you're putting your bedroom on the east side of your home. So then you can wake with the rising sun and it helps align our circadian rhythms right. or our body's internal clocks. So it's there specifically for this space. Yeah. I know um, somebody who doesn't have a window on the eastern side, is there lighting that you can install that would simulate maybe some kind of feeling like that? Or if people can't um, do that, how how do they go about Yeah, Yeah, what do that? we do if we're, we're in a space that doesn't have any right. characteristics? Yeah. I think what's so exciting, especially from an interior design perspective, is that there's so many tools, so to speak, that we can work with to still get that best scenario possible. Mm -hmm. So the short answer is yes, there is lighting. Uh, there's a lot of research coming out. It's definitely growing and there's still an evolving field around it. Um, but looking at the spectrum of color within our lights and how are we looking at light that simulates the natural progression of the sun throughout the day. Mm -hmm. So they actually have um, the kind of their nickname is vitamin T, vitamin D um, lamps. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> um, I love that. Yeah. So you think about rooms in spaces like Copenhagen or Alaska where they don't have as much daylight as we have throughout right. the day here in, in Knoxville. Um, they actually have rooms that are light therapy rooms designed with the right color, so to speak, of the light bulbs um, to simulate what it feels like to be in the sun. Right. So they actually have that technology in alarm clocks too. I've heard a lot of studies about red light therapy, mm -hmm. um, but I've heard it more at night. Mm -hmm. um, so apparently it's kind of just naturally makes you sleepier and more tired. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's also, you know, the tie-in or the anti-aging and the red light stuff that that's used for that, but that's not necessarily um, interior. But I've heard red lights at night. Um, and then I've never heard of the alarm clock. So mm -hmm. that is really, really cool. I yeah. love that. Yeah. I'll keep my eyes out for that. <laughs> that would be really cool to implement into this space absolutely because really the process to for our bodies to wake up it takes about an hour and it basically is as soon as you're i can agree with that yeah <laughs> i can definitely agree with that <laughs> yeah. um and one of the ways our body wakes up most naturally is through daylight so if we're not able to have that in the mornings if we have it in our alarm clocks for example it allows our body to kind of go through the process of us waking up before we're physically awake and it allows our bodies to be a lot less stressed. And the whole goal with all this really is how are we reducing our stress first? Right. Um, and we could do that through the built environment. So then our body's not spending as much energy on fighting that stress. And it has a lot more in the reserves to do the things we want to do, like be productive or creative or happy or and that is, that's something that's so interesting to me is that, um, you and I briefly discussed kind of using how we use eating healthy foods as a tool yeah. for our body to be healthy and our minds and our gut health. And, but we can actually use our spaces as a tool in the same sentiment. And so that was something that was, I mean, just, it was almost like an aha moment for me. And I was like, wow, that is so inspiring. I'm ready. When can I start? I want to do it. I'm all about the wellness. 
Yes. Um, I loved that. So, um, and I feel like, especially right now, more than ever, we are also stressed, um, because we're, we're constantly inside. And I remember the, the study, the 90% of our time is spent indoors, which is alarming. Um, and I feel like it might be even more now, um, that's slightly increased, um, just due to the current situation. So, um, right now we're experiencing anxiety more than ever, probably inside with constant news running, probably in the background, or if you elect to not hear it, you're going to probably hear it at some point. We're so connected. Um, and really how we can use our space as a tool to decrease those stressors. Um, and, how long it takes us to get rid of that stress was also something that was really interesting to hear. So it takes about an hour for your body, four hours. <laughs> I, well, that actually makes sense. I feel like <laughs> I want to be optimistic and say, yeah, I can get over in about an hour, but yeah. it's a small little stressor, but mm -hmm. four hours yeah. to get over a stressor. So it um, can take up to four hours and that usually oh is a pretty common. So, okay. Um, yeah. So like on that, like super high level for those that weren't able to join the pachaka cha um, anytime we see something that stresses us out, um, say it's, you know, a key from a former partner or, you know, um, that ceramic face that had a crack in it that you have to get to one day or that stack of mail that you've got to go through, right? It basically can signal a body's response to go in fight or flight mode. So our amygdala is engaged, triggering that fight or flight because we think we're on defense. And, you know, our blood pressure rises, our muscles tense. And what can happen and most often happens is our blood basically goes to our extremities. So our skin and away from our vital organs because it's ready for fight or flight. Wow. When it does that, our blood's a really big detoxifier. So it's moving away from our vital organs. So it's not pulling as many toxins out of us. It's kind of this, this whole series that happens. This is a lot though. This is very serious. I <laughs> mean, is, right? yeah, this and, is really serious. Yeah. yeah. And I think what's really fascinating with that is, you know, when you, when you're able to, um, go through and maybe release things that don't spark joy anymore. Like Marie Kondo, fabulous, right? I was actually about to ask you how yeah. you felt about the minimalistic, that, that world and how that works. Is that something yeah. that you implement into your life, keeping mm -hmm. things minimal? Or is that something that's just kind of, you know, if you like it, you like it? I think it's, um, for, I think it works differently for everybody. So I think short answer is that she, and what she's really revolutionized is such a brilliant approach of, you know, maybe one person's term of surrounding themselves with what sparks joy is a little bit less than like minimalism as we see in notebooks or textbooks. Um, I think what I love about what she's sharing is really how are you surrounding yourself with very intentional items that spark that state of gratitude and appreciation and don't trigger that fight or flight response. Because imagine if you're seeing just three or four things that trigger that fight or flight response and even on a subconscious level, our bodies are going through that kind of four hour that we could be stressed the whole day in addition to everything else that we're stressed with. So is it the end of the world that you have these things in your space? No, but I think it's an opportunity to say if it really doesn't increase that appreciation and gratitude, then maybe find a new home for it. And honestly, one of the really coolest things, and, and I'm telling you, your presentation just so inspired me oh, and I, awesome. I loved it so much. But one of the things that I wrote it down whenever I was listening was that objects and spaces have memories and 
memories have emotions. And that to me was so powerful. And it made me come back into my apartment and look around, or even I almost went into my mom's house and, you know, you look at things and I'm like, what is laying around that probably it shouldn't be there anymore or um, something that does have a crack in it and we've turned it just a little bit so that we don't have to think about it anymore um, you know or you know walking in and seeing something like a memory and I actually looked at as soon as I walked in my husband and I have our wedding date um, you know right as soon as I walk in and I was like oh that's one thing I got right so um, that was really really powerful for me and I feel like um, a lot of people could to could take a look around in their space, whether it be their bedroom or their living room or just the places that they're constantly in in their, in their homes and remove things that might be a stressor and they don't even know it's a stressor, but I feel like that is, that was so powerful to me and I, and I loved that. Um, so that was really, really cool. I think with that, you know, just like when we see things that stress us out, our bodies go into fight or flight we can really use a same sentiment on the positive side of, you know, objects by themselves don't necessarily have an energy or an emotion, but we have a memory with it, like you said, and then we're responding to that. So it's not necessarily the table. It's the table that your friend Sally gave you. And oh, Sally's fantastic. I really love her. So it's this positive response. Um, we can really look at the objects in our space or the way that our environment is designed to look at things that do promote that positivity or appreciation, like your wedding date. And it actually can work in the opposite side where we're signaling our, um, basically our hypothalamus will start to engage and it starts to engage higher brain waves. It's in charge of a lot of things in our bodies. Um, but we can look at, you know, kind of um, impacting a state of gratitude and think about like journaling when you're writing what you're appreciative of at the end of the day you can do that with your space so by having the artwork that has your wedding date right by your entrance that's really powerful because you see it when you first come in puts you in this happy state and that helps to kind of get you in the right mindset to be home. It was one of those things that I didn't even consider. Mm -hmm. And whenever I hung it up, it just seemed like it was the right place to put it on the wall. Um, and that's something after I'd heard that I came home and was like, wow, I don't know if my body just led me to do that or if it was just a design thing, but that was really cool. So, um, I love that we can apply that to, to health and well being, mm -hmm. and seeing those things and how they do invoke emotion out of us, um, and positive emotion. So oh, yeah. that was really, really cool. So, um, one of the most important things I think right now is that we're all working from home. Yes. Um, and we are almost all set up home office and yes. ahead of our podcast today had asked multiple of my friends, um, some that work with me and some that don't kind of how their office is set up. How is your, what's your setup? And a lot of people are working from their beds or a lot of people are working from their kitchen tables yeah, or, yeah. you know, their, their bar tops. Um, so just in those spaces, um, I saw that you put together one of the home office designs and there was a lot of really cool things on that, that I had no idea. And the first thing was your back mm -hmm. and protecting your back because there's, we feel safer. Mm -hmm. with something behind us. So, um, if you could talk a little bit more about that, that would, I think that that would be super helpful for, for some of us who are working from home that have no idea about any of this stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, our day to day was already very stressful in life. You know, we've got so much information and now, um, many of us are going through a really dramatic transition and we're trying to figure out what is this new normal. So, 
how can we use every single tool possible to try to help create a lot of safeness and security and comfort during this really um, pretty stressful time for a lot of people. Um, yeah, so I had a lot of people ask like, hey, I'm working from home for the first time. I know you work in environmental psychology. Do you have any tips or tricks? So I got really inspired. I wrote a blog post about it. So I'm happy to give the link to you if you want to share it with your Absolutely. listeners. Absolutely. I'll definitely link um, that out. To go into full detail. But um, I think some of the big takeaways is a lot of what we've been talking about. So if possible, find a space that is designated for work. So I know it sounds really comfortable, but try to avoid working in your bed. Um, Because what happens then is your body sees that space as a workspace and it's not able to fully rest when you are ready to go to bed. Oh, wow. I didn't even think about something <laughs> yeah. like that. Yeah, because we kind of, we look at our beds and they're they're like safe haven. That's where we relax. It's where we go to literally sleep and take our bodies away from our mm-hmm. constant work all and stresses. all the stresses. So that should be kind of like your safe haven and your area of refuge, I guess. Yeah, so. Especially um, now more than ever, really saving that bed space as that kind of sanctuary, that safe haven. It, could be very supportive for you, right? Um, So I think really thinking about your spaces that way or what I'm recommending with people, and I get it, not everybody has a home office in their space. Mm -hmm. So if you are making a makeshift office, really look at having that back protected. So is there a solid wall behind you? Um, Are you putting your desk against the wall during the day and then when you go to work, so to speak, you move that desk out so the wall is behind you. So you're kind of, doing two things, you're having your back protected, which helps to minimize that fight or flight response. Therefore, you've got more energy to focus and be productive. And you're also creating a ritual that says, okay, I'm going to work now when I move the desk around. And then when I put it back against the wall, then I'm not at work anymore, right? So that's one really big one. Right. I feel like those healthy rituals during the day, you might not think that that would add any kind of, Mm -hmm. um, you know, addition to your day, but just having that ritual where you do pull your desk out or you do move your computer from one spot to another and it's, that's work time. Um, and then making sure that wall is behind you. That is a really, really cool thing. Um, I think on that also healthy boundaries, um, are going to be really big. Yeah. There's a lot of people that are working from home with their spouses or their significant others and and um, things are probably going to get testy at times if, yeah. you know, people are not in the same wavelength or one person is on and one person is off. My husband and I talked about that and he currently is not working from home yet. Yeah. Um, he is an essential broadcast. Yeah. Um, right. So he is having to stay at work, which is totally fine. But um, I was asking him what would be probably our stressors if we were together and how we would tackle that and mm-hmm. make that better. And there's probably going to be times where one person is on and one person is off. But I feel like having your dedicated space. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like that that would be really important. Um, Definitely. But, and I feel yeah. You know, a lot of people are working from home with their kids for the first yes. time. A lot of kids are out of school. Mm-hmm. So an advice with that, and it talks about it, is um, be proactive with that. Get creative with that. Is it, And make sure that every person in the household has a space that's designated as their own. And maybe it's a corner that you've converted into a study fort for the kids next to the couch, right? And it's their space. And getting creative and proactive with it. One, when they're creating it, they're a little occupied, so you're able to focus. 
Um, and then communicate when you do have those calls, like this is focus time, and maybe you have a red flag or a yellow flag that you put up, okay, it's focus time, only come if there's an emergency, right? I think getting in front of it would be a big advice. Right. Moms and dads, if you're listening with kids, maybe you can inspire them to clear out their sister's closet and have an area of refuge <laughs> and have a have a book nook or, you know, um, go and do that. That's really, really cool. And um, the stairs, you know, any Or the stairs, yeah, that that's really cool. Yeah. Um, so many different places. Get creative. Mm-hmm. I think that this is all going to force, um, you know, us to be creative in our spaces. Yeah. Um, and so hopefully a lot of people more than, than not, um, will be doing that. So, yeah. um, and I think the last thing on that was an expressing gratitude because mm-hmm. I don't feel like that we, we understand how to express gratitude without actually having it pop up in our what head. Does that mean? What does that even yeah. mean? Yeah. We know when we're journaling, right? Um, so I think kind of a quick recap. So having something solid behind your back, be it a wall, a bookshelf, you know, you name it a curtain, right? Um, having where everybody has their own space, get creative with it, used to nature, right? Integrating natural materials, textures, right? That's going to be really powerful, biophilia, that thing. And then, you know, expressing gratitude. So maybe you're looking at what you see from your workspace and making sure that within your viewpoint, you're only seeing elements that spark that appreciation. So maybe it's an award that you won for a project you did really well, or a piece of pottery that your child made, or a picture from a recent travel that you're really proud that you took, right? Only look at things that spark that gratitude because it helps us to engage higher brain waves. Therefore, we're more productive, able to focus. That's pulling those objects that have memories tied to them and positive thoughts and feelings. So that's really cool that you can just be intentional with your space to express gratitude. I love that. And then get what slugs you down out of there. (laughs) Get get rid of it. Even if you have to shove it in a closet that's not being converted as a study nut, great. Um, Just get it out of your viewpoint and it'll help you be more focused. That's really cool. I love that. And that's really awesome for, for a lot of us that are working from home, um, moms and dads, spouses. If you're by yourself, um, you know, still try to apply these to your to your daily routine if you can. Um, and then I wanted to know a little bit more about Interweave People Place. So you recently moved from Atlanta to Knoxville. So did that start in Atlanta for you? It did. Yeah, it did. So I guess kind of high level. I um, have been working in the industry for 10 years within environmental psychology, primarily collaborating with design firms and architecture firms and then organizations on office environments and education spaces. So, you know, your universities. And I felt a really strong um, pull. I was having dinner with a good friend one time explaining to her what I did. And she said, oh my goodness, what you do can have such an impact on my life. Would you come and take a look at my house? I said, sure, absolutely. And I've worked with residential clients before. And I got to tell you, Becca, the light bulb went off. I said, this yep, is... That was it. That was it. <laughs> this is, you know, one of those yeah. light bulb moments. Just like converting the closet, you know, steady. It all right. connected for you <laughs> right then. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, in a nutshell, it's a consulting company and organization where we're really looking at the research and science of mm-hmm. how our spaces impact us and making it very accessible in human language. And we're primarily working in offices and then with homes. So it actually is interesting in homes. It tends to be more of a kind of coaching slash co-design process. Right. I'm co-creating with people in their spaces because most times it's you have all the objects in your space already. 
It's not about buying new necessarily. Mm -hmm. It's about being really intentional with what you have and looking at it in a new way. Um, It's very energizing. What are some of the things that whenever you do um, walk into their home and you start, um, you know, pulling ideas and how you can immediately fix it? What are some of the things that are very common to see that it's super easy to fix? Um, You know, or maybe just one of the, you know, it's not a functional space. How, what are the more common things that you see whenever you walk into people's spaces? Yeah, I think that's a great question because it's, it's so different for everybody. Part of the process is really, um, we sit down and say, okay, what are your goals in life? Are there challenges that you're trying to overcome? Or are you trying to start your own business? You know, And then how can we use the psychology of design to help support that mm. achievement of that goal? Um, so I, I think it really depends on whether it's a business or a home and the person and the person and what their goals are, you know, maybe they're looking at increasing community in their life. So we really look at their space to foster that and support Mm -hmm. that. So is it where we're looking at, you know, an open layout where we've got a large table in the middle where people can gather and there's comfortable seating for everybody that's appropriately spaced. So everybody feels comfortable and they're not in each other's bubbles, you know? I feel like a lot of homes are designed where people are either turned around trying to communicate with people in the kitchen or, mm-hmm. you know, just everyone's scattered where they can sit. And yeah. it's just kind of hard to create a community within either your own home. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's probably a little different for business, but maybe not. Maybe there's community yeah. rooms um, where you, you know, would have to set up the design to make sure that it's functional mm-hmm. um, in, in the best way possible. But I feel like there's a lot of home spaces that every everyone's either turning around and then one person talks and you have to look the other way or, you know, so, um, that's really cool. I didn't think about community and creating just, just that being one of the goals. Yeah. Or maybe you're trying to get more joy and vibrancy in your life. Right. So then we look and say, okay, what are the areas that we can focus on? Maybe we're starting with the entrance. So, you're putting things there that really spark joy or we're getting get color psychology in the conversation. I was going to say so the like colors. Your yellows and your mm-hmm. oranges tend to be really uplifting. And mind you, everybody's different, right? Based on cultural backgrounds and personal preferences. But there's a lot of research that says, okay, what are the tools we can play with? And I think in your offices, um, it's a lot of the same conversation. And we're layering the psychology of workplace theory and how we go through work. Um, in a nutshell, we're going through four different modes of work each day, focusing, collaborating, socializing, and learning. And we shift through those throughout the day. On top of that, we have people that get their recharge different ways, so more introverted to more extroverted. Um, so, you know, high um, activity, high noise, that's a thing, versus maybe a little quieter. Quieter for the introverted. Yeah. 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 So how are we really looking at the office environment, for example, and the home, too, as um, an ecosystem of settings? So maybe there's a telephone nook or maybe there is that private reading area in the closet that you converted. Um, there's small meeting spaces. There's a large dining room table or a large, you know, um, staff lounge. It's really about um, creating that right mix 
of the spatial ecosystem, so to speak. So that it all works together. So yeah, works that's together, really cool. And you have a choice of where you get to be. And I feel like it's it's important to appeal to those different personalities and, and their goals and their values and how they work best. I feel yeah. like, um, you know, there might be a lot of business spaces that could just be designed for one specific person in mind. Mm-hmm. And that being someone in a cubicle and doesn't want to talk to anyone and <laughs> is totally fine with that. And then, you know, there are people like me. I love to socialize. I need to get up. I'd like to walk around. I don't necessarily need to, but like currently I'm working in, um, an open collaborative room with 14 other people. So it's very, it can be very loud or it can be very quiet, but, um, I think we're all kind of mindful of that, but it's nice. So it's, it's a great co-working space. Um, but it's like you, yeah, look at it where it's not a one size fits all. It's not about all private offices. Mm -hmm. It's not about all open workspace. It's really about a diversity mix. Yeah. I will say in your home, a really great place to start and where I tend to see the biggest opportunity is in your entrance. What you see when you very first walk in, um, most often it tends to be where people set their mail, their bags, their shoes. And really that first entrance experience is a big opportunity to set your mindset for when you're arriving home. So maybe you want to be calmer in your life you want that to almost feel like a spa, so to speak. So get all of your to-dos out of there. Like find a new space for where that sack of mail goes. Yep, no because, mail. Yeah, yeah. Um, get those shoes. Dirty out of shoes, the way. get the shoes out of the way. Yeah, and really put things there that spark that feeling that you want to feel. Be intentional. Yeah, be yeah. intentional with it. And a lot of it's already existing in your space. I think that's what's so energizing about this is looking at it with intention, with the research and science, and using the things that you have already in a new way. I love this and I love that you came into this and it was this big moment for you and you finally put it all together and this is your baby and this is your dream and I love it. Um, so how can people contact you for, for this? Um, do they contact by phone and to set this up? Um, just kind of how does the consulting part of it work? Yeah. How does it work? Um, so I think high level, how we support is, um, two buckets. So on the commercial side, we partner with design firms and architecture firms to bring this research and area of expertise to projects. And then on the residential side, we work one-on-one with clients or even in small groups sometimes. Um, so the way that you can find Interview or me right now, it's an organization that I own and then I partner with a lot of really great partners to make sure that we're supporting diverse needs. Right. So it's interweavepeopleplace.com is our website. Um, we're also on Instagram and Facebook. So interweave underscore people place. And um, on our website, there's a way that you can sign up for a 15 minute chat and discovery call. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, take advantage of that. Call in and do that. One of the things, especially right now, I was really inspired to do, because it's, you know, it's how do we support people in using this as a tool to support their life and their intentional quality of life, just like healthy eating or an active right. style. Um, because everybody's shifting to remote work, um, or a lot of people are, one of the things I said, you know, with those 15 minutes, why don't we just hop on a video call and we can co-create a supportive workspace for you. So like zero. That's awesome. Yeah. You need to work together, but know that it's something that I was trying to brainstorm. How can I try to support as much as possible with the gifts that I have? Well, I really enjoyed this. Um, and if you guys are looking for a very talented, um, awesome person, you know, so much I'm inspired by your knowledge and how you came about this 
and I'm really excited that you came on the show um, and the podcast. So this is really cool. Um, but I have to ask you about Knoxville since you just moved. <laughs> you know, I love Knoxville so much. It's a great city. I, lo- I loved Atlanta too. It was a great home. Um, I, it was already kind of in my plan to move somewhere away from Atlanta and um, I fell madly in love and he happens to live in Knoxville. So that didn't, uh, that was a great transition to That's awesome. Here. Yeah. Um, and um, I really love all the ways that you can get outside in yep. Knoxville and it's incredibly accessible. It's so, so accessible. Yeah. The dogs, there's greenways, there's, I mean, the Imes nature center there, there's so many different, I don't know if you've been to Lakeshore mm-hmm. yet, yeah. um, but Lakeshore is over in Bearden. That park is amazing. Yeah. Super cool to walk around and it's massive. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's so many opportunities to get outside. Yeah. Um, went and to the rock quarry, um, yes. last summer. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it's magical. It's a magical yeah. place. Really great memories there. Well, we're so glad you're here yeah. and back in Knoxville, the UT had you first and then now you came back. You yeah. just had a strong calling. So oh, it's, it's a beautiful um, city. That's really cool. Well, I'm really glad you came on the show and thank you so much, um, for talking to me. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It was great to be here.